when we started, it was a tiny team and we were very close and we were working together every day and every night and every weekend. And now it's this time where we have to align our whole team on the vision and where we really have to share our knowledge and be clear about where we want to get. And I think this is where we have to establish new processes as well, like internal processes to get there. And also, for example, to make decisions based on data we are getting, because now we are in the market, we are we are tracking a lot, we are gaining more and more data about our product, about our performance and so on. It's also making more data-driven decisions. Welcome to Product with Banash. I'm Axel, and in this show, I talk to product leaders and experienced operators across Europe and beyond. Together, we'll learn about their craft, how they build successful products, and unpack the frameworks and secrets they've used in delivering growth for their businesses. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Alex Luca, who's currently Chief Product Officer at AnyBill, where she's working with her team to make digital receipts the new normal. Previously, Alex was a product owner at Enable and has also worked across project management and global portfolio management at Siemens. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hi, Axa. I'm very good. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Great How to have you your... on the podcast. Thanks for your invite and thanks for having me today. My pleasure. Listen, before we jump in and deep dive into today's topics, why don't you give us a brief 60-second intro. Tell us a little bit about you, your background, and what have been some of the key phases of your career so far? Yeah, I'm happy to do so. Well, my first touch point where product design, product management was in an intratech startup in Berlin, actually. So I was hired as an entrepreneur in residence, but that was the first time where I was working with design managers and product managers participated in design sprints. I did my first user testings and so on. So this was actually, yeah, the very first time I was working in product design and product management. And after that time, I, I was working for Siemens, which is a German engineering company. And I was working in global portfolio management there. So it was the complete opposite of what I was doing before in the startup, because then I was working in a really big company with well-established product in several markets and they were market leader already. It was all about growing market share and growing the product portfolio and everything. It was a really interesting and valuable time as well. But then after that, I had the feeling I want to go back to the startup world. And that's why I joined Anybill in, in Chief. Anybill was founded in, at the end of 2019, actually. And I was joining a couple of months later. But our products were still not in the market, so we were not live with our products. Yeah, it was a really yeah interesting time, actually, because at that time we were still in this designing phase, development phase, close to entering the market. And I was starting as a product designer and product owner, actually. We grew a lot during the past years with our whole portfolio. And yeah, in the beginning, of course, I was doing like, everything from research to design to the whole scrum process and was all about digitizing receipts and yeah as you said in in the nice intro making the digital receipt to be the new normal and we still have this mission but of course our product portfolio did grow during the past years and now we are 33 people 
at Anibar, we had our second funding. So we are in this growth phase and yeah, we want to make the digital receipts to be ready for the mass market and to be implemented like everywhere in the offline doors, actually. And what was the kind of aha moment or initial trigger for you guys to say, we've got to work on this receipts digitization piece, right? What, like, where did this come from? Yeah, in the beginning, it was just this experience at the point of saying that you're paying digitally, you're paying with your with a payment card, with your wallet, with your smart device. And then you have this kind of a break in the experience because you're getting a paper-based receipt. And we thought, okay, why is there no solution for digital version of the receipt? And then there was a, a change in the German law, which said that all merchants must provide a receipt whenever a customer is buying something. So even if the customer says, okay, I don't want to have a receipt at all, that merchant must provide a receipt. And that was the moment where we understood, okay, so there, there is a need for the merchant to have a better solution, a more sustainable solution, obviously. And that, that was, I think, one of the main reasons as well, why we said, okay, we want to provide a solution that is sustainable, that is easy, and that is digital. That was one of the points where we said, okay, we will do that. And we want to provide a digital receipt for every single store, at least in German. And yeah, actually that was our big aha moment, I would say. And it's interesting because you talk about sustainability. So how big of a dimension was sustainability in you deciding to do this? Because Obviously, if the German law is saying you've got to provide a receipt every single time a person makes a purchase, that's a lot of paper, right? Yeah. And I think that it was also the moment where one was talking about more sustainable solutions, green solutions, also because the receipt paper, you cannot recycle it and makes it even worse, actually. It, that's why sustainability played a big role and still is, it's still playing a big role in our yeah whole story we are telling. And that's also how we, we try to convince merchants or why merchants want to work with us because they say, okay, we we want to have a greener solution, a better solution for all the paper we are producing every single day. So tell us a little bit about Anybill. How are you guys set up? What are you guys working on? How do you how are you tackling product challenges? And I think it'll be interesting for the audience to understand like how are you guys doing product given you are an early stage company, right? Like how are you identifying opportunities? How are you addressing these opportunities? Yeah. So I would say it, it has changed a lot during the past years. In the very beginning, as I said, when we started, we were still in the development phase, designing, trying to understand the market, but our product was not in the market at that moment. We did not really understand our stakeholders, to be really honest. We needed to talk a lot to merchants to understand why do they want to have a digital receipt? What are their real needs? what technologies are they using? Because in the end, we are a, a technology provider because we are providing the APIs that needs to be implemented in the into the POS software. We are providing software development kits to make it easy to deliver the digital receipt into the application that the user wants to use. And so on. So actually we are a software provider. 
but we needed to understand, okay, what kind of technologies are the merchants using? And, and also to understand the consumer. So how does the consumer want to get the digital receipt? And in the beginning, when we were still in the exploring phase, we had to simulate a lot because our product was not active. So we did not activate it in the market. And we had lots of click dummies and lots of designs and everything. And we tried to talk to consumers, try to talk to merchants and try to understand like, okay, does this work out? Everyone can tell you like this time when you're not live with your product and you try to understand this, it's still, you can't get as many insights as you're getting when you're really live in store. And because it's always different because consumers are behaving differently. They, in the beginning, they say, okay, yeah, I can imagine that I would behave like that or like that, but it is different to at the moment when it's really live, when they are there at the checkout and they must get the digital receipt. It's different actually. And I think during our first year, we learned observing how other consumers behaving, how are they interacting? with our application, because at that moment we were focusing on our own application actually. And yeah, we were learning a lot through conversations with merchants and we didn't have a specific target group at that moment. So we were talking to every merchant, like everyone who wanted to talk to us. We uh, quite, quite broad, right? You <laughs> yeah. talking to a very large group of people. And how did you go about taking all of these insights and making sense of these insights? Because I can imagine you had a lot of these conversations. Now, once you've had these conversations, how did you come together and make sense of it and then use it for decision-making? Yeah, in the beginning, so we started to take all this feedback and to adapt our product pitches again and again and how, so our story around our product actually. And then we got more and more feedback during these conversations and face pitches with the merchants. And we understood, okay, these are the real pain points. And at that moment, for example, in the B2B business, we understood that, that for the merchants, the most important thing is not digitizing receipts itself. It's much more about what can you do with a digital receipt and how can you use a digital receipt for, for example, for increasing loyalty, for using the doing marketing campaigns. Because from the online world, we know it already that you're buying something, the merchant knows your, your purchasing history, you are getting your recommendations, you are getting a targeted ad and so on. But from the offline world, we don't know this yet. And at some point we understood, okay, the merchants, they are not just looking for digitizing receipts. They want to use the digital receipt to increase, for example, loyalty through displaying special coupons on the digital receipt based on your purchases. For example, they say if you as a consumer, you're at the checkout and you say, okay, you want to get the digital receipt. How do you want to store your digital receipt? Oh. Maybe just in my existing merchant's account that I got from my online shopping already. And so you've got like all these possibilities through the digital receipt. And it's not about the receipt itself. It's about all of the opportunities having the receipt digitally opens up to you, right? Like exactly. all the stuff you couldn't do before, now you can because you've got the receipt. Exactly. And it took quite a while until we really understood this and because in the beginning, we always thought, okay, yeah, everyone wants just to digitize the seat. And then we understood, okay, no, we have to 
tell the story a bit differently, but also we have to provide features that, that enable merchants to do your marketing stuff, this loyalty stuff and so on. Yeah. And we tried to meet all the demands and all these needs and, and provide like all these additional services as well, actually. So that's how we grew product portfolio then and how we, yeah, how we were able to adapt our story that we were telling towards the merchants at least. And I think another, yeah, important thing was I mentioned it in the beginning. So we were focusing on our own application in the beginning, but at some point we understood, okay, the merchants, they, they do have their own applications and they don't want to lose their customer and that they want the customer to save the digital receipt in the merchant's application and not in the application that any bill is providing. And so we understand, okay, we, we must focus more on, on providing SDKs, so software development kits that are a very easy way to, to implement a new feature into an existing app. So that was the new feature was the digital receipt, obviously, the Enable services. And through our SDKs, we, we are enabling merchants to, to implement it into their own app. And so they can provide their customers a way to store the digital receipt in an existing merchant app. And that's how the merchant um, can make the unknown customer from the offline world to a known customer. Because the customer is coming to the checkout, as I said, gets the digital receipts. And at that point, he or she is still unknown. But then the customer says, okay, I want to save it in the merchant application where I got my account already. And at that moment, we turn the customer into a known customer, right? And then what's the real value for the merchant? And I think this is the second aspect we learned through our journey and the first month where we were still in this time where we tried to understand the market, understand our stakeholders. And yeah, that, that was an important learning. Do you feel stuck not knowing how to tackle a problem or you're looking for a solution to help your team members grow in their craft? Either way, check out panache.io. Panache works with product leaders to bring expert insights and proven frameworks you can use in your role as a product person. Companies like Atlassian, Content Square, and Miracle all choose Panache to provide the right level of training and coaching to their product teams so they can perform at their best. Whether you're a product leader or an individual contributor, head to panache.io to get an idea of how we can help you level up today. Check out panache.io. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O. Brilliant. That's really interesting. And it sounds, what I'm also hearing is that there's this duality between trying to understand the merchants, what are the merchants trying to do and trying to understand the customer side of things. So when you're at point of sale and you're making this purchase, what actually matters? One thing happened to me re recently. I bought like this pair of shorts over the summer from a department store in France. So pretty big store, actually a big brand name and I bought it at home and I think I used it like once and realized there was a bit of a tear in the, sh in the shorts, right? So I had to take it back. So I went back and I realized, and this crazy thing happened. I went back and I didn't have the receipt with me, but I remember that when I was at checkout, I used my loyalty card and I had a, an idea of what the price was. I thought it was like 49 euros or something. 
but I didn't have the receipt. So they sent me to this other desk in the building, the service desk, and this lady, I had a chat with her and she was basically going with me through all the transactions that happen at the department store, buying this specific item in the time frame I told her I did the purchase because she couldn't find it on my loyalty card, which I thought was a bit weird, right? And the thing is, I told her 49 euros or something, but that wasn't the price of the shorts. It was more like 45 euros or whatever. So we spent like 15 minutes looking for this transaction. So she went through all of the transaction history from all of the customers at the store at that time buying that particular item. Took us 15 minutes. She eventually found the transaction and she said, oh, that's not the price. This was the price. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. It was like six weeks ago. And it's really interesting how with all of the technology that we have at hand and like we're in 2022, right? Finding this transaction was not an easy thing, right? So when you talk about digital receipts, I also see how, like you mentioned before, there's all of these new opportunities that open because suddenly now I don't need to find this piece of paper that I, that I was supposed to have to bring back an item and get it repaired. I can just look in my phone, my wallet, or somebody at the store can look it up for me. And it, I'm imagining it would be faster than having to go through all the transactions on that particular day of purchase for that particular item, right? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, as you said, there are all these cases like returns, warranty, but also, for example, uploading is to your expense management tool. Yeah, all these tiny things where you have to, where you need a receipt. And for example, when you have to upload it to an expense management tool of your company to get the money back, then you have to take a photo of the paper and then you have to upload it. And then you have to type in a date and amount and so on, which is not, not handy at all. And we thought exactly the same also when we were starting, like, why is there no digital solution? Now we understood, okay, it's not that easy because you're, you know, get what is sort of the obstacle. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I think one of the big problems is that you're getting these purchasing data from the cash register system, so the POS software. You must be implemented with your API into this POS software to get the data to make the digital receipts out of it. But we said, okay, we will still do it. We want to try it because we know that the future will not be a paper-based receipt. It will be a digital receipt. And yeah, we, and we also try to make it as seamless as possible to, to, to send the receipt to the customer, which means that for the moment, our solution works with a QR code. So you're scanning it at the checkout and then you're getting the receipt. But I think so you, you mentioned it with your loyalty card. So for example, we also, we also having our first pilots out, out there where with one merchant where we are connecting the loyalty card and or your customer ID, basically, and the digital receipt. So when you're at the checkout and you're scanning your loyalty card, we are able to um, send the digital receipt right into your account and connect your loyalty card and your customer ID with the digital receipt, which makes it much easier and really seamless because also when you, as a consumer, when you're at the checkout, you're not thinking about, okay, I have to keep the paper because maybe I will bring back my item I just purchased and to get a refund. At that moment, you're not thinking about it. 
But then two weeks later, when you need this receipt, you're like, oh no, where did I put this piece of paper? And I can't find it anymore. Like exactly what you were telling before. And when you know, okay, my, my digital receipts are stored, for example, in my merchants app, in my wallet, in my, I don't know, banking account connected to, to, to the payment transaction, you know where to find it. And okay, if I might need this receipt again, I know where I have to look it up and it will be a very easy process. Right, exactly. This makes a lot of sense. I wish I had a solution like this summer. It would have saved me a lot of trouble. So we talked a little bit about your journey, getting market insight, and also really trying to understand what customers were trying to achieve and what the merchants were trying to achieve. And you get all of this information, trying to make sense of it, and then focus on how are you going to take this forward? How have you dealt with prioritizing all of this stuff, especially at such an early stage? You're probably thinking, oh my God, there's so many opportunities. How do you decide which are some of these opportunities you're going to focus on and you're going to pursue? Yeah, so in the beginning, as I said, we tried to to talk to all merchants, to everyone. <laughs> and we had so many different target groups. And I think we got we really got at this point where we understood, okay, if we want to serve all these merchants and we want to tackle all these target groups, this will not work out because of time, because of money, because of a tiny team, all these things that I was struggling with. So we got at this point where we said, okay, we really have to focus on our core business. And so core business means on the digital receipt and the main features that the market really wants and where merchants are willing to pay for. And what we did as well was we were looking at all different merchants at all different industries as well, because the, I don't know, the fashion industry has different demands and needs than grocery stores, for example. We try to understand our target groups and we try to make segments and to be really strict and focusing on our sweet spot, that's how we call it, the most interesting industry and size and so on, because we understood, okay, we just don't have the capacity and the resources to serve all these industries, all these merchants of, of every size. It's so, also um, probably about getting one of these use cases right first. Exactly. Exactly. I think this is another thing, like every startup is struggling with, that you need this success story. You need this one merchant who's trusting in you, who is trusting in your product to prove that it's working and to have this one success story. And uh, yeah, definitely we had to find the success story. And that's also a reason why we really had to focus on this one industry or well, at least it was three different industries, like the main one and the main um, or the most important merchants for us at that moment. And yeah, also say no to new ideas, new features, if it was not, if it was not the focus at that moment, which was sometimes really hard as well, because then you're talking to merchants and they have new ideas and it's, oh yeah, that might be a great idea and a market need. And we have to spend more time on that. But sometimes you really have to, have to be like, okay, no, this is not our focus at the moment. And this is not what we need at the moment. Yeah. And, and it's not always easy to say no to 
Exactly. Potentially a person who can, in, in the transaction, the person who's going to pay you, right, is going to pay the bills. Exactly. And that's it. Again, it's this struggle between, okay, you want to make a product that is ready for the mass market and that is working for all merchants and that is easy to implement and easy to activate. And on the other hand, you need this success story. And there is a merchant who is, okay, but can you provide this as well? And what about this? And then you always have to think, do I want to spend more time in, for example, individualize a feature for this one merchant who might be our success story? Or do I want to spend my time on, on focusing our core business and our product that is for the mass market and not specialized and not, not yet just for this one merchant? And this is something that's really difficult. Because it's always, it's also this, this product strategy you have where you think, okay, you want to, you make your product ready for the mass market and, and so on. But on the other side, your business perspective where, okay, but I need this proof and maybe I need to spend more time on individualizing a tiny bit of our product to get this proof with this one merchant that our product is working in the market. Yeah, it's not that easy. No, it's definitely not. I can relate a lot. Tell us a little bit about where you guys are now. What are the next challenges, the next priorities, and how are you tackling these? How are you looking at the market? Are you looking for growth, retention? Where are you guys focusing right now? Yeah, at the moment, we are really in this growth phase. We did proof that our products are working. And at the moment, we try to focus on really building the infrastructure, which means for us that we are talking to many POS software providers to implement our APIs to um, be ready to activate our product in the mass market and everywhere. And so this is our clear focus at the moment. And yeah, we've I think we've made big steps and also, yeah, working with different tools like segmentation matrix or our product vision boards to align the whole team on the clear vision that we got and where we want to get. Because, yeah, as I said in the beginning, now we're more than 30 people. When we started, it was a tiny team and we were very close and we were working together every day and every night and every weekend. And now it's this time where we have to align our whole team on the vision and where we really have to share our knowledge and be clear about where we want to get. And I think this is where we have to establish new processes as well, like internal processes to get there. And also, for example, to make decisions based on data we are getting, because now we are in the market, we are, we are tracking a lot. We are gaining more and more data about our product, about our performance and so on. It's also making more data-driven decisions now. I think one very important part is as well, like, taking more time in for research, for testing, for quality assurance and not be like in this very, I don't know, like hectic time where you just want, you want to be fast and fast and you're building new features and you're re reacting real quickly on, on changing, I don't know, environmental impact opinions or you get like new inspirations and in the beginning it was like okay, we, we always try to react very quickly on that and now we understand okay we are um, now in a phase where we have to take more time for research for testing and be really clear about what we are building next we we must be really 
yeah, it must be aligned to our product strategy, our vision to, yeah, to have a healthy growth. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. You talked about spending time on testing and QA. I think it's really interesting. My experience working in quite, quite a few early stage companies is that QA and testing strategy is somewhat often overlooked. People think, why do you want to, why do we want to invest time in this? We want to invest in building more, shipping more. And what has been your experience about balancing? It's a balancing act, right? So why spend time doing QA and testing at such an early stage? So uh, as you said in the beginning, it was exactly the same as you, you said right now. So it was really like being fast and building more and more features and so on. But at some point, we understood that this does not make us faster because if we miss this prep work and this time for product discovery, we're in, in this phase where you're building the feature. It takes so much more time. Because then you have so many iterations with your engineers and so on, because you did not do the prep work. Just to clarify by prep work and for our listeners, I'm guessing you're talking about scenario mapping, fleshing out acceptance criteria for the work you're doing, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. So it's all this, also doing the research and then testing your first mock-up testing your wireframes and then doing, I don't know, maybe click dummy. Getting feedback all this time before you're really starting to write your, your ticket and to plan the sprints with your engineers. So this whole time before, it is so important because at that moment, it feels like I take so much time. And now we got the second and maybe the third and maybe the fourth iteration because we have the feeling we're still not there. And it feels like this takes ages. We are not getting further. But this is not true. And I learned this during my time as well, because in the end, when you're really building this feature or whatever, it's so valuable and you're so much faster if you did all this work before. And because then with your engineers, you're not having these the thousands of iterations because it's not working or it's not like looking like you, you wanted it to be. Or when you start testing it after building it, and you understand, okay, actually, this is not really what the market wants. And this is not really how we wanted it to be or how our users are using the feature. Actually, this is, it's too late. It's far too late. <laughs> you must understand this before, before you, you're building it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, as I said, so in the beginning, we did not work like that. But over time, we understood, okay, it makes, it makes us much more faster and more efficient to value the, the product discovery and all the prep work. That makes a lot of sense. This brings us to our next segment, which is basically trying to understand if you look back at your career so far and everything you've been through from a product perspective, but also more generally, what would we find in your treasure chest, right? So things you've taken along the way and you think are valuable for you, things that have really helped you along the way. So if we opened that treasure chest of yours, what would we find? What are some of the most helpful resources you've used to deliver impact as a product person? What helped me really from the beginning and still does help me is having my own personal short-term and mid-term and long-term roadmap. Roadmaps are a really discussed 
thing, I would say, because there's so many product people who are saying, okay, roadmap can be difficult if you really stick to it, if you're not... Love and, it's a love and hate relationship. Some people yes. love it, some people hate it. Exactly. And I, I have to say I love it, you know, but I think you must understand how to work with it. It's, that it's important that you have enough space to adapt your roadmaps or to be flexible, be agile. But for me, it helped me to to stay focused and also to have my clear vision in mind. So this is not necessarily a roadmap I'm sharing with my team. So this is something I got for myself to understand, okay, at the end of the year, I want to be there at this point. I, and maybe I'm not clear about how I'm getting there. But I know we must be there to be to be successful, actually. And it has yeah, sounds a bit, a bit like to... sounds a bit like personal goal setting, right? Yeah. Like how do you set goals for yourself, and how is this going to help you in your journey? Like you said, short term, mid term, long term, etc. Yeah, definitely, because it also helps me to decide sometimes. So if I have disagreements, like shall I focus on that? Does it really is all for our company, for our goals, for our vision? Sometimes it just helps me to look at my roadmap and to be like. Yeah, okay, this is important. Or to say no. Again, this say no to something. Sometimes it's so difficult, but it helps me to stay on track. And yeah, I would say this is one one important thing that helped me during my time at Anywhere. And I would say the second thing is definitely that, yeah, talking to customers. I mean, you can read it everywhere in every product book and in every podcast you hear, it's so important to talk to your customers to always get feedback and so on. But it's a different if you read about it and okay, this might be important. And if you're really doing it and feeling, okay, if I look back at the very beginning of our time, I was part of more or less every customer call. And it was not because I was like, okay, as a product person, I must be here and I must listen to you and I must talk to you. It was more because we just didn't have the the salespeople or anything to do that. There was with Leah, she is one of the co-founders in the end. We did all the sales work and all the, I don't know, the product work and everything. So it was more because of that than we, and she was talking to some merchants and I was talking to the merchants just to handle all the request from merchants and so on. It was, yeah, it was more because of that motivation. But in the end, I understood it was so important and so valuable because by talking to these customers and merchants, like every day, actually, it helped me to understand our target groups. And it helped me also to understand which are the segments we have to focus on and which are the segments we maybe should not focus on at the moment. And I think, yeah, this, talking to all your stakeholders, this is internal and external stakeholders. That is so important, really. Thank you. Product. Thanks for that. Super insightful. And what would you say were some of the key accelerators in your career? So I'm thinking about people you might have come across, typically mentors or training courses, you learning about something specific or coaching. What are some, what is, what have been some of these for you? I think it was. For me, it was very important to, or valuable that I had mentors in actually more or less every company I was working. And by saying I had a mentor, I don't mean that I was participating in a special program or anything where you have your mentors and mentees and a match. And 
It was not like that. It was more like I was working in this company. And then, for example, at Siemens, there, there was a director and she was my bearing partner. And she was someone I was always asking if I was struggling with something. And she was also someone who was pushing me and supporting me. And that was very important to have this kind of a mentor because I learned a lot from her. And especially about portfolio management and also leadership. Because she was the one who taught me that it's very important if you're having, if you're leading a team, that you trust your team and you're not doing the micromanagement thing and you want to control like every step of your team to be sure that they are aligned to your vision and so on. So that's what I definitely learned from her. Claire also told that it's very important that the sales team and the product team are really aligned because actually the sales team, they are the one who are selling your product and they must understand the product and they must understand the value of the product. And also the sales team is very important to the product team because they are the ones who are talking to the customers on a daily basis. And yeah, they are out there day to day talking to, yeah, talking to the customer base, right? Exactly. So this is a very important channel for the product team to get feedback. And this is, and I really, during my time at Seaman, Claire really told me that it's so important that you got your, as a product person, that you got your bearings partner from the, from, or your bondra from the sales organization and that you are always aligned. And also as a product team that you prepare all the material and all the knowledge for your sales team so that they can work with it and they can take this material and go to the merchant and show them, okay, with these products, we are tackling these problems and that's how you can use it and work with it. Yeah, I would say that so these are the two aspects I really learned from her, which are one of the key accelerators in my career. Brilliant. Thanks for sharing this. If Claire is listening, I think this is very nice. Uh, nice touch talking about you like this. I know how mentors are important in product people's career. So thank you. I think that's great. Next and last question for you today, Alex. Think about, think about your past and everything that's led up to this moment, what advice would you give to your early career self? I think so one of the most important things, I we talked about it a lot already, but value, product discovery, prep work, know how important it is. Because yeah, as I said, in the beginning, we did not do this that much. And over the time, I understood how important it is. And I would say this is one one of the things as well as staying focused and yet try to stay on track. And you have limited resources. Work wisely with your resources and stay focused on main products on, yeah, I don't know, the vision and where you want to get and take all these tiny steps to get there. Because sometimes it's almost, especially in the beginning, you had this big picture and where you want to get and you were dreaming, I don't know, this big vision. And you feel like, okay, I want to get there tomorrow if possible. But no, it's not working like that <laughs> to, to get there. I think you really must take all these tiny steps. And yeah, I think this is another advice I would give the young Alex. Brilliant. Yes. Two things. On the one hand, know the power of a good network because I started quite late to really talk to other product experts, go to conferences and yeah, to have this regular exchange with other product people to talk about, 
I don't know, obstacles or like problems you're struggling with. And sometimes it just helps. And so not just to get an advice from someone who's more experienced, sometimes it's just, it feels so good to understand how there are other startups who are having exactly the same world. And it's not just you. It's not just... It's like group therapy, right? Yes, exactly. And sometimes it helps a lot just to hear that. So yeah, it's really, it's really important to, to grow your network and talk to other product people to have this exchange on a regular basis. Yeah, maybe another advice to my early career self would be also knowledge sharing. So not just, I was talking about talking to your network and other product people, but it's also important to share your knowledge within your company. Because especially when you're starting, you're a tiny team and everyone knows everything. But then you're growing. There are new team members and you must share all the knowledge and, for example, document it or just have a place where new team members can look all this knowledge you already got and you already know about target groups, about products, about everything. And because otherwise you will get at this point where you, where you two steps further than all the others and they can't really follow you because they just don't have the knowledge you have. And if you're not sharing it from the beginning, you might have the problem that, that you're still somewhere there. And your team is far behind and to close this gap or that this gap will never be there. I think it's very important to share everything from the beginning with your team. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Alex, for all these very precious insights. I had a great time today having you on the show. If people want to reach out, can they connect to you through LinkedIn? Yes, definitely. I'm very happy to connect. And yeah, thank you so much for your time. I feel and for you. Oh, my pleasure. Alex Luca, a Chief Product Officer at Anybill. You can reach her on LinkedIn. And yeah, thanks again. And I hope we'll see you soon on the podcast. All right. Thank you. If you're hearing this, you've listened to this episode all the way. And for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite platform. Also, if you have a minute, please consider giving us a rating as it helps other listeners find the show. You can find all the episodes and resources on panache.io slash podcast. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O slash podcast. Until next time.